This is the AMA Los Angeles podcast. Are you ready? Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. This segment is a live panel on the current and future state of email marketing, which was recorded at the WeWork in Playa Vista. The moderator is Los Angeles Chapter President Philip Reventish. The panelists will introduce themselves. And so let's join this wide-ranging discussion on email marketing. All right, excellent. So I'm going to have each panelist give their 30-second bio. Phil, we're going to start with you tonight. And uh, we can read on the screen as well. But Phil, tell us about uh, tell us about your 30-second bio, buddy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, can everybody hear me? Laurel. Uh, company, our big our big hook with us is that we have transparent pricing, free delivery. Um, a lot of our flowers are shipped from South America. We have this whole story about them coming straight from the volcano to the states. Uh, very interesting company, uh, a startup environment. Only been in existence for about five five years and some change. So, um, but at, before previously before that, I've had experience working in the uh, health and fitness industry. Um, worked in at Allergan, which was in facial aesthetics, and then previously before Books was at Beachbody. Um, so I want to say that part of my impetus of working there was to stay in shape and stay healthy to be in line with the LA environment out here. So. <laughs> okay, this actually sounds loud. Um, my name is Kim Mitchell, um, and I currently am Senior Director of CEM and Email Marketing um, at guess, as in guest jeans, not guess where I work. Um, see, <laughs> at the time that I was leaving my past job, and I said I was going to, they, people said, "Oh, where you know, where you, where are you leaving to go to?" And I said, "Guess." <laughs> um, so, um, at guess, CEM is customer experience marketing. Some companies call it CRM. Some companies call it database marketing. There's a few different terms for um, kind of a similar uh, role of a, of a certain department at a company. But basically, um, you know, whatever, whatever the acronym is, um, essentially we've got a database of uh, customers and leads. And what we're aiming to do um, is to take leads and turn them into first-time customers, take the first-time customers and turn them into two-time customers, um, and take the two-time customers and turn them into loyalty members or loyalists if you're a company that doesn't have a loyalty program. Um, but that's, that, that's, you know, that's the, the, um, the goal generally of, of CEM and CRM, I guess, is to keep the customer moving along their journey uh, with, with guests. Previous to guests, um, I worked for uh, Beachbody, actually with Phil. <laughs> the team there was, uh, was the database marketing department. And we were doing um, email and um, some direct mail and some uh, retargeting on Facebook as well. But it was all speaking to existing um, customers and leads. Um, and before that, I mean, a few different companies, but um, I've done everything from, you know, print advertising for a telephone uh, and internet personals company, personals company, to um, working for a company that puts on multi-day breast cancer walks. Um, and we're doing the marketing to try to get people to uh, sign up for that event and then stay engaged until the actual event. So lots of different marketing roles, but uh, always in a CRM uh, type of role. I maintain that variety is a good thing. Chris. Yes, please. Good evening, everyone. My name is Chris Barnes. I uh, currently work for the Automobile Association, AAA. Out of curiosity, how many people in the room are a member of AAA? Look around. Is that crazy? Right? We have, I think it's about 
one out of two people in California are members of AAA. I mean, they're a company, we've been around a while, right? Over 100 years, they were a company that's really moving to uh, take advantage of what's going on in the marketplace, look at what's changing and trying to still stay relevant, not only with just uh, you know, roadside assistance, but insurance, travel, and what have you. A little bit of my background, uh, my passion is email. I'm really about sending the right message at the right time to the right person. Um, it's not my first rodeo. I've been in the space for a little while. I originally came out of exact target. I was employee number 60 with them. And as you know, they got bought by um, Salesforce. And for about 10 years, I ran a consultancy, primarily dealing with clients working with a multitude of different platforms and then helping them develop um, their strategies and then implementing their programs. I think what we find is figuring out what to do is not that hard, but actually rolling your sleeves up and doing it, that's the hard part. And that's the part that I really uh, am passionate about and find a lot of joy in. One of the other interesting things with our company right now, we just launched a new uh, innovation lab at AAA up in Los Angeles. So the purpose of that is primarily to um, look at the disruption that's going on in, in the marketplace, try to figure out what the next paradigm is for an old school company like AAA and help us move to the next level. So for anybody that's uh, interested in being a product owner or has engineering background or a dev, um, please you know, give me your card or reach out to us either at AAA or at clublabs.com. And then as I finish up, my uh, title at AAA is I, I work as their uh, solution architect for email and also their subject matter expert in the area of email. And so a lot of what I'm doing is making sure that the strategy is in place and the various automated programs that we have work and effective and return the type of ROI to our members as well as to upper management. Thank you. Excellent. Let's welcome our panel. Thank you. We have one more. And oh, Elizabeth is the reason why we're here tonight. She came up to me a year ago and said, hey, the AMA Los Angeles should really be doing an event on uh, email marketing and CRM. So if you have suggestions for programming, be sure to talk to somebody wearing a tag because we're always looking to hear what people want to uh, hear about at our educational event. So Elizabeth, thank you. Take it away. Well, I'm glad that the panel happened. <laughs> Thank you everyone for coming. So I'm Elizabeth and I have my own email marketing consulting firm called Mocha Bear Marketing. I've been in the email space about 15 years. Um, I actually worked with Phil at Cheetah Mail, which is now Cheetah Digital. And then I spent some time at a CRM agency after that before I went off on my own. So today I work with mostly small to mid-sized businesses, but really businesses of any size, helping them with their email program, um, connecting email both to their offline experience, so if they have a store or a restaurant, as well as helping them on the e-commerce side. Um, pretty much what I'm doing now. So if you guys have any questions after, I'd be happy to chat with you about email marketing. And Elizabeth brought some uh, postcards in the back too, so if you're going back to drop in a business card for the drawing, or not, feel free to grab a, a, a postcard. All right, so I, we found this on the internet, of all places, and it still holds, tr holds true. Instead of one-way interruption, web marketing is about delivering useful content at precisely the right moment when a buyer needs it. And that is the essence of the, of the internet and email marketing, getting to your customers, staying in touch with your customer. One of the questions I have for the audience, I'd just like a show of hands, of how many people are involved in the CRM side of things or in combination with, with email? So let's start with CRM first have a good working knowledge of what CRM is about. So 
Okay, good. So that kind of gives us a gauge of, of our audience tonight. Um, but it is, it is crucial, it is a crucial element of the marketing process. So we found these 10 golden rules, and some of these kind of seem to me like the dough factor, um, pretty generic. But if you look at the first one, and this is what I want to ask the panel, it says, do not send emails to those who are not expecting them. And uh, that's my first question to the panel of, how do you feel about their number one golden rule of not sending an email to someone that might not be expecting one? So, Chris, let's start with you. Well, there's, there's, there's two ways to look at that. There was a study done a few years ago that Lou Hornet did that found the number one reason why people unsubscribe is, one, they're getting sent messages that are not relevant. So the first thing is, is making sure that the people you're talking to actually want to get the messages that you send. I'm a big, I'm a permission-based marketer. I think everything needs to be double opt-in. And there has been some change in the marketplace where people would email to bought list, that business is pretty much gone now and it carries with it too many fines, so I hope nobody's doing that in the audience here. Um, so that's just kind of my thought on that is, is really, um, hey, you've got a database, let's see the people that are, are, act, are taking action, what to do, make sure you're messaging to them the people that want to hear. Kim, how do you feel? Um. Generally speaking, I would say yes if you're sending um, any kind of e-blast emails, which touches on Chris's point about how personalized and how relevant is that. Um, then yes, it wants to be. You need to um, send emails to people who are expecting them. Not only but that, but there's the list hygiene element where um, you know if at a certain point in time, if um, a customer has not or s email subscriber has not been opening in a certain period of time, you didn't have to do this 10 years ago, but you need to do it now. Um, to trim your list. So if, you're, if your list, you know, your, your database query looks something like, is subscribed to my, you know, my brand um, and has um, opened an email in the last, whether, whether it be three months or six weeks even or nine months, whatever the time period, I probably wouldn't go anywhere past nine months um, or has clicked because actually you can click on an email without it registering as an open. Um, so we say either open in the last nine months or clicked in the last nine months, and that's the basic query, like the foundation of any query. Just so that, um, again, 10 years ago, you could send as many emails as you wanted to people who weren't listening to you um, or not opening emails, and Gmail didn't really care, and Yahoo didn't penalize you, um, but now they all do. And so if you're not, if you don't have some degree of list hygiene um, in that way, then you'll start noticing that your open rates are falling to like 10% and 8% and 5% and 3%. And it's because um, ISPs like Gmail and Yahoo and Hotmail are either blocking you or just um, moving a lot of your email to spam or not even, not even getting to the spam box. So there's that. The only exception that um, my last two companies, the only emails that we have sent to people who um, weren't necessarily subscribed our uh, card abandon is a good example of this. So someone goes to your website, your e-commerce website, they put something in their cart, and then they abandon it. If they're logged into the website at the time, then you know who they are, right? You know that you know who that person is, what their account, you know, account um, ID is, and their email address. It counts as a transactional email because the person was almost finished, you know, purchasing, and then something happened. Maybe they actually X'd out. Um, maybe they ran into a technical glitch, but you can actually follow up with that person um, and say, you know, did you leave something in your cart? Um, do you want to return and finish your order? So that's an example where some of those people may be subscribed to email, some of them may not be. You are allowed to follow up on that transaction. 
very directly like saying, you know, do you want to do you want to finish your order? Click here to go back to your cart. Um, but not everyone, you know, not everyone may be subscribed in that case. But whatever you're showing them, especially if you're showing them like an image of the jacket that they cart abandoned, then it's a very relevant email and it actually gets a great open rate and a great great click through rate. So that you know that email actually is like fairly well received. Elizabeth. Uh, so I totally agree with what everyone has said on the panel. I think it is really important to stay relevant and to also mail frequently. And by frequently, it kind of depends on your brand. I have some clients who are mailing weekly because they definitely have something to say. I have some clients who are mailing once a month. And then today I've talked to a client who hasn't sent an email in six months. And I think that's a perfect example of when an email is no longer relevant and you're probably not going to reach your customer. Even if they were at one point interested in your brand, they probably forgot they signed up um, or they're no longer interested. So I, I really think you only want to send to people who are expecting the message. So I agree opt-in only, but also make sure that you're mailing timely and relevant information. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely completely agree with what everybody else said in the panel, but I'll, I'll just bring a real world, real world example to the plate of when it is appropriate to potentially email to a customer that isn't expecting it. I think when you, when you think about things from a content perspective, you know, the goal with email is to serve up relevant content that's enticing for the customer where they want to have an impetus to buy your product, right? And I think even if you know they, everybody's touched on scenarios where customers are lapsed or maybe they're not engaged, but if you have differentiated content that kind of stands out from your normal message stream, I think in those scenarios it's maybe an exception where you can email those that aren't expecting it. And to give you an example, um, the Books was a company that I believe it was three or four years ago we actually were featured on Shark Tank, and our CEO pitched the business. Um, he, it, it was rough. He got, uh, I'm sure Mr. Wonderful called him out, said he was stupid, <laughs> said he was dead to him, all that nonsense and whatnot. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, Robert Hershevek recently got married and was looking for a flower vendor to actually source flowers for his wedding. And so he thought of uh, John Tavis, our CBO, and said, you know what, let me give him a call. Let's, let me uh, see if he can get me a better price on flowers. That was actually the first reason he contacted him. But then that led to conversations about our business model and understanding of kind of why we're differentiated. And so... Uh, this past Sunday, we were actually featured as an update on Shark Tank. So this, this Sunday, in our newsletter that we send out on probably a monthly basis, we, we opened it up to our full list because we had, in our subject line, we had the messaging of, you know, tune in the Shark Tank to see a featured update. And the cool thing was is we opened up a new office. So that was very enticing to kind of tease in as a hook. And then following Shark Tank, we continued kind of mass messaging because we we, we had a whole strategy where we renamed some of our products like Shark Tank type names. So they try to capitalize. <laughs> not, and, it's, and it's funny, like some were named like Killer and Jawbone or something. And so and our, 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 I had a product like he was, I mean, he was cringing because he's really tied to the brand and how it makes people feel well. And we were trying to rename to align with the Shark Tank theme. But, but anyways, that's, that's an example where... <laughs> where uh, I think it's, it's an exception where it kind of makes sense because you have some new relevant content that's going to be enticing, right? If it's relevant, right. Okay, whoops, sorry, sorry. We're not going that fast. We got lots of time. You get the questions in advance, sorry. Okay, so I want to talk about drip um, campaigns. Um, 
is there a golden rule uh, for drip campaign content and structure? So I just want to spend a little bit about that. Does, does everyone know what a drip campaign is? Raise your hands. Yes? No? Great. That's a good question to start with. Phil, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question because um, we you know when I when I came to the books they there were there were a few drip campaigns and I guess just to yeah just to for people that know what drip campaigns are it we kind of think of them as more life cycle marketing type of email or it could be email or multi channel but kind of based on if you're a new customer if you've been a customer for a period of time if you're lapsed like what are relevant messages and offers to communicate with people and I think it's it's it, if it's a golden rule it's kind of tough because the analysis we're going through is we're trying to segment our customers based off of their lifetime value some of the key behaviors that we think will make them look like our better customers and so we're trying to incorporate that into our mix of how we structure our, our drip campaigns and I think to you know to kind of close the loop I think I really don't think it's a golden rule. I think it's it's an exercise of thinking about what makes sense from a financial perspective when you're serving up offers and also from a content perspective from where that customer is in the life cycle and then developing a testing strategy. So best practice is kind of always to think about what are two or three different scenarios that you think would drive the, the desired behavior and then running the test long enough where you have good enough solid results where you can get a read and then adjust Chris? Thank you. Well, in our organization, which is a, a little interesting, first of all, we only email members, first of all. So in that way, you've already raised your hand. You've either uh, done traveling, decided to travel, or you've become a member in our roadside assistance program or insurance. So for us, where a drip campaign kind of comes into play is what, where we have our, our welcome series. And a welcome series is we kind of look at it this way. When you first decide to become a member, it's kind of the honeymoon stage, right? So we have this wonderful opportunity when your customer is really engaged. They actually want to hear from you. And so one of the things that we've done, we've actually really tried to spend some time trying to understand, trying to map out what that customer journey looks like, not only from our own experience, but also reaching out from members, looking at the data, and then putting together a program that we can test, right? We have a, a six-step process. So we have six messages that go out that help a member understand more about the various services that we have and something to kind of give them you know, a, a good warm and fuzzy about the products and services that we offer. And seconding to what uh, Phil had mentioned, we're really big into testing. So we're always testing each part. Great opportunity, right, to uh, increase your incremental lift, but also to look just because we come up with a plan and route this out, like we've got these six messages that run through we're finding, hey, maybe we only need four. Or maybe it's only message one and three and five that resonates most with the member. And then, then we, we learn from that. And then, of course, always optimize. Elizabeth? So I think lifecycle messaging is probably the most critical part of email marketing because, as Chris said, if people have raised their hand, they've asked to hear from you. It's also all date-driven, um, generally, you know, based on whether someone's opted in, whether they've purchased, you can set them up as automated. I mean, I know we used to say set it and forget it. I don't think you can do that as much today, but you really can in a way. You always want to be testing. You always want to be thinking about what what you're wanting that customer to do. 
and where they are in their life cycle. And I think testing is really important, but it's also you're sending them on a journey that you've chosen for them, but you should always continue to optimize it and really make sure that whatever journey you've sent them on makes sense three months from now, six months from now. You can keep everything running and change your creative if something is not performing or if product sells out, you can easily swap that. But I think having a life cycle message and especially a welcome is very critical. And I think in many cases, that's something that a lot of companies forget about. They get so focused on the marketing message and the sales that they tend to forget about the customer life cycle messaging. And to me, that's still the most critical part of the program. When people sign up for your email, they are expecting to receive something in real time. I think even if you're sending three days later, you're a little too late. So can I just add one thing? Sure, please. The other thing that we need to be interested in too, remember that email is just one channel. We consume media a multitude of ways, right? There's what we see in ads. There's what we see in direct mail. We do a lot of direct mail at AAA. There's social. And so it's important, too, in any programs that you, you do to look at how those overall work because they, they work at a synergistic effect. It, and customers are not just linear. They never go just the one direction. That's been my experience anyways. Thanks. Kim? Um, the only thing I'd say to add to that, and just um, to be super clear about a drip series, so um, there might be some people in the room who have never done any email marketing or maybe even not even any marketing at all. So a drip series is called a drip series because you've got more than one touch point. So it, 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 it starts off as, you know, someone gets, in the case of email, someone gets email number one. And then if they've opened it and read it, maybe but they didn't take an action that you were asking them to take in that email, um, then they would get, sometimes they, you could actually resend that email or you would just move them on to another, um, to another message. Hey, okay, now, um, you know, it could be that uh, um, in the example of a welcome series, someone signs up for email and the first, e the first email could just be um, informational. Hey, here's some information about our company and here's some great services that we offer that we think you might like. The first email might just be, the purpose could just be to read it. So then the second email could be, hey, um, you know, hopefully that person maybe, maybe has made a purchase after that first uh, touch point. And then maybe your suggestion is, hey, why don't you download our mobile app? So that might be the second message that goes to people who got the first email um, and maybe as long as they read it, they get the second email. And then it, it's a drip series because then if there's a third touch point, you get the third touch point if you did or didn't do something with the first two. So that's why they call it a drip. Um, usually you, you, someone enters with touch point one and then some people get two and three or sometimes everybody gets two and three, but usually you don't enter in at the second touch point or the third touch point. So in order for there to make sense for there to be content, there needs to be a path that you wanna take them on. If you've got one message, it's not a drip campaign, it's just one email. It'd be like, welcome, that's it. <laughs> Here's your 15% off offer, there you go. Um, but if you, if you have a, a plan for them as a next step, okay, maybe you redeem the offer, then the next step is that you get this. And the people who didn't redeem the offer, the next step is they get this and maybe they get a 20% off offer if they didn't redeem the 15% off offer. So something like that, I think you just have to have a, a, a path in mind for where you want the, them to go. Um, if you don't have a path and you've just got one thing to say, then it's just a single email. Moving on to campaign timing. Uh, for instance, with AMI Los Angeles, we've experimented of sending out our emails, our, our Digest Weekly emails, um, at different times of the day, different days. Is there a golden rule for when you should send out a particular type of, of email? And the follow-up to that is, can you send too much? Can you, you know, ex be engaged in overkill uh, and starting to n maybe not make your subscribers happy? So, Phil? 
<laughs> yeah, so that's that's definitely an interesting question. I think with um, with promotional messaging, you know, kind of the the trend that I've seen and what we do at, at the Boost Company right now is, and I, I believe a lot of email service providers have this as a feature, is you can send based off of an optimized send time. So basically what a lot of these platforms can do is they'll recognize the timing of when your customers open various promotional emails over time. And then based off of that, it uses uh, an algorithm or a calculator to figure out when to send you know, Kim her email versus Elizabeth her email with it within the same sense. So it's kind of an interesting, it, it's funny at Beachbody, we talked about this forever and we just never put in the time to implement, but it, at the books we've, we've seen some, some pretty solid results from that. Um, I think to, you know, for, for transactional type messaging, the, the abandoned cart example that, that Kim mentioned, um, I think with, with those types of campaigns, really immediacy with that first touch is, is crucial because you have somebody that's in the lower part of the funnel, they're, they're high intent if they're already on your website and they're dropping items in your cart, they're showing that high intent to purchase and if they happen to leave and abandon that behavior, you know, you want to stay top of mind. So I think in those scenarios, it's, 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 it's imperative to have a little more immediacy Elizabeth? This is actually one of my favorite topics because many years ago, we would say, oh, what's the best day of the week to send? And some study would come out saying it was Tuesday. Everyone sends their email on Tuesday. Well, that's no longer the best day. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, as Phil was saying, it's all unique to your specific subscriber. And there are so many ways to identify that. I, I partner with a company that basically a marketing database co-op. So it's not just based on your specific subscriber list. It's based on when that email address is most likely to open a marketing message across all the entire market email marketing landscape. I think, you know, I see that we also have overkill messaging and optimal send time. And I think they're, they're two very different. I don't think you want to send too many emails, but I do think you want to send at the optimal time. And everyone has a unique behavior with email. I know for me personally, I get up in the morning, I check my email, I tend to delete almost every single marketing message I get. If I get a message when I'm sitting at my desk after lunch, I'm much more likely to engage. And I think it's really important to think about not only how often you send, but when you send. I know there are a lot of retail companies where they have a very short window. So they have a flash sale or something, they're afraid product's gonna run out. But I think even then you can figure out the optimal time to send even on a much smaller scale. Ideally, you send to someone on the day and time of day they're most likely to open, but you really constantly need to be testing that. Kim? Um, just to elaborate a little bit on, on what Phil was talking about. So someone at our previous company, he was uh, an engineer by trade, but worked for the database marketing team. He figured out how to deploy 24 emails um, or four, 24 deployments of the same email each one went to a group of people who were most likely to open at that hour of the day. So what he did was, um, in kind of a manual way, so it took four hours to set up the deploy for this email, he said, but, <laughs> but we tested it and we got about a 17% lift on, uh, on, on conversions from it. So what happened was, um, so our, um, our email software provider stores six months worth of open and click data. Um, so he took the six months that we have on all the customers, took all the people who have opened at least one email, and if you open up more than one email, then he would uh, find the, the hour of the day amongst the 24 hours. 
that you most frequently opened up email. So if you opened up twice in the 8 o'clock in the morning hour and you opened up once at the 5 p.m. hour, then you most often open up at, in the morning. So then he, he sends it at that, at that hour of the day. For anyone who um, doesn't have any opens in a certain period of time, you would just kind of get the default. You actually weren't part of that. So to test it out, he actually ended up with 24 deploys. Some people open up emails at you know, 3 a.m. And so there were a certain number of people who got it at that time. And what we did was um, to also introduce the idea of A-B testing. So we took some of these groups that were large enough, say a lot of people open up you know, in the morning before you go to the, to the office, so 6 a.m., 7 a.m. hour, there was enough people in that group where he could split that in half and say half the people are going to get it at the time I think they're going to open, if my theory is correct, and the other half of the people are going to get it at the normal send time, 8 a.m. And so you do that test, 50-50 random split, and you say, okay, how many more? How many people? How many more people? You know, opened and clicked and took the action that you wanted them to take um, at the time that we hypothesized that you would um, react to it better versus our standard time. And so that's how we knew through the A/B test that we got, you know, about a yeah 70% lift in conversion by sending to people at the time that they most often open. Sure, please, Elizabeth. Then so we'll, we'll go I, to I know the process that Kim just mentioned is very manual. I don't think it has to be manual today. I think you can do it manually, but people shouldn't be intimidated to send at the right time, thinking that it's going to create a lot of extra work. Also, when I, I've done this for a couple of clients, and when we saw a 20% increase in revenue, and they were in the gaming industry, so pretty much they were just trying to drive people to spend more money playing a game. Um, I did it recently with a restaurant, and they saw a 97% increase in revenue from their batch and blast type campaigns to when they started sending at the optimal day. And for them, you know, because it was a manual process, um, they're smaller, they're in MailChimp, they did have to send the same campaign every single day for seven days uh, to see those results. But you can basically copy and paste. And, uh, I kind of concur where, uh, where Kim mentioned. It's funny, we at AAA actually did that hard exercise manually to try to figure out um, optimal send time and it is interesting because it does vary per industry so just because you read something somewhere it doesn't be okay retail should always be you know at, I don't know on Saturdays at this time you should test it and I think that's the other thing that we've heard here most of the tools whether you're in Salesforce or MailChimp or what have you it's relatively easy to start doing some initial testing and it's great because you get your, your results in under 72 hours so whether you're testing subject line or images or buttons within your email, I just highly, highly encourage. It's amazing the number of people I still run into that run programs. They don't figure they don't have time for testing, so they're just batching and sending emails out. And part of that is because we've had this issue with, hey, email is easy, it's cheap, and every time we send, we make another $20,000, right? Well, that is changing now because who here thinks they get too much email? I do, right? So we have to... We have to do a better job, those of us in the marketplace. There's definitely those of us who are doing it, but I think the consumer is going to drive that, or we're just not going to have effective programs. Thanks. So my next question is about um, your organization's approach to the emails themselves. Is there a specific length or formula or format that you guys are tied to? Do you mix it up for certain campaigns or certain topics that are, you know, as you mentioned, feel relevant? So can we just talk, um, Kim, let's start with you about um, what what type of email is typical for you guys, and then what makes it different when you decide to make it different? Okay, 
So <clears throat> there's one approach to design, which is um, from a brand point of view, right? So you want to keep these emails exciting and you want to, um, sometimes you want to showcase one particular outfit that you think is going to rock it and everyone's going to love it and click and buy. Um, and sometimes you want to feature like a whole collection and you want to show more products that you have available. So sometimes from a branding point of view or even a, hey, I think, you know, I want to show lots of my product to my customers, you may make an email shorter or longer. So from a design point of view or a brand point of view, that's one um, way to look at it. The other way to look at it is based on um, response rate. <laughs> so again, you can A-B test this. We've done it. We've certainly done it. Short, e short email versus long email. Um, you know, in the case of a fashion company like Guess, um, a, a featuring like a product grid, which is um, like a, a kind of a matrix that shows you're able to show a lot of different product in a small, uh, small, small amount of space. So you could you have like a three by two or something, and you show six products in a relatively small, um, you know, small space. So we actually tested this on men and women separately, and um, the women liked the grid, and the men didn't. The men liked things; they liked less information, and they liked it stacked with just like one column, and they liked it stacked. The women like to see more and like to see it in a grid format. So from that from that point of view, we now send product grids to women and we send stacked, shorter, less content to men. I'm the same way with my wife's Prius. Um, Chris? Um, great question for us. I said we have many different types of emails. So we like have product specific for various product lines. We also have our, our general e-newsletter, our, our travel weeklies. And for us, what we find is, um, I guess I'm a big believer for a simple, holistic, and relevant. Um, so I think our emails tend to be uh, shorter rather than overly long. Let's face it, the, the life cycle or the, the time limit of an email is under three seconds, really. So you don't have much time. The challenge sometimes when you're working with a line of business is everybody wants to put the kitchen sink and every offer and thing. And what we found through our testing is what's the clear call to action? What's the, what's the desired behavior that you want that customer to do? And if you don't mix it up too much, you'll be successful with that. If you try to put too much in there, they, they don't necessarily have the result that you're intending. But in real life, we fight with that because we have lines of business we have to answer to, and a lot of times they want to put everything into meshes, and it's difficult. Elizabeth? I actually love the example that Kim gave because I feel like that's something that you wouldn't know until you tested it. You could have assumed the opposite and been incorrect. Um, I think clear call to action is really important. I think also staying on brand, making sure that your brand is really a front and center, and also testing the length of the email. I I've seen a lot of companies lately, they send one image, um, and that doesn't tend to render correctly, or at least not 100% of the time, but really, again, testing it, because what you assume will work may or may not work and I think an A-B test especially for creative is, is really important. Bill? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, definitely agree with a lot of the approaches everybody else has mentioned. I'll just, I'll just add in kind of a unique scenario to, to the books. Um, obviously, flour is a very seasonal business and in our world, uh, supply and availability is a big topic and a big issue. It, it, I'm just kind of, I've only been there four months, so I'm just kind of getting exposed to it, but it's like a four to six month lead time to, to connect with the, 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 the growers of flowers to kind of plan for inventory, and you gotta kind of forecast demand that far out. So it's, it's a difficult exercise. So what that translates to for CRM and email is a lot of times when we're in these really high peak seasons, 
like on a daily basis, something, you know, a, a particular bouquet may run out. So the way that we, the way that we, at least we're approaching it this year is thinking about the email structure, but also the connection with the landing page that the email drives to because we don't want to be in a scenario where we're promoting, you know, a bunch of red bouquet flowers when it's not going to, it's going to be sold out the next day. So we think about how can we have more of a kind of a generic template that's going to just generate the click and then connecting that with the landing page experience that will stay connected with the email but feature, you know, the exact products that we have available. So it's kind of a unique scenario that, a unique spot that we're in during our high peak seasons, during Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and we even encountered this during uh, Christmas. We had a special like Christmas collection. So that's kind of a, an approach that we that we take during those times. Those time. well, and you've touched on a whole issue of, of inventory and logistics and connection to the campaign, right? If we had more time tonight, we would definitely dive into that for sure. But yeah, that's something, obviously, if you're gonna send out an email, you better have product, right? All right, so. Um, Bill, since you have the mic, um, I just want to ask a little bit about your organizational processes that keep your various campaigns integrated on, on track. Essentially, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do on a daily basis. Yeah, so, yeah, um, if we had an hour and a half, I could go into every <laughs> detail with that. But uh, I think I'll, you know, uh, sticking to the, uh, the Valentine's Day theme here, um, you know, it, and, and I know uh, he touched on this earlier, you know, with, with marketing and CRM, and especially when you think about acquisition as well, there's there's so many channels. We have campaigns, we have partnerships with Fandango we're launching, Groupon, um, Guilt City, and then on top of that, we have this massive you know email program that we're launching to drive Valentine's Day orders. So from an organizational process perspective, uh, we have our, our brand leader kind of gets everybody to huddle together on a daily basis. We have uh, you know, we're a startup, so we're not too sophisticated. We have a uh, we have a master Google Doc that's kind of color coded with, you know, which campaigns are going to be live during which windows and which dates. And then, uh, you know, back to my inventory point, we touch on, you know, what are the forecasts with each of the various campaigns from an acquisition perspective, from an email perspective, and then we just try to stay aligned to make sure we can avoid these situations where you know, uh, you know, certain products are going to be sold out. Um, and then on top of that, we have our analytics resource that's helping us to understand, you know, what's the daily forecast and are we going to meet that forecast for the day or are there levers we can pull to try to, uh, you know, meet our forecast and exceed. And in the email world, it's, it's a combination of, uh, you know, maybe it's different products that we push that are higher selling. Maybe it's a certain offer variation to try to drive more incremental orders or is it maybe, you know, and this is something I learned from Kim at Beachbody, is it, is it remailing openers of, of a prior campaign to drive incrementals? Like, I've, I've saw that that's been a really good tactic to drive incremental orders as well. So, Kim, um, when we were looking at your, your bio, I thought it was interesting that you integrate customer experience with your digital and direct mail. And do you take a holistic approach to that process? Yeah, so, um, so I think of, um, customer experience um, or CRM uh, or your customer journey as being your strategy. So again, you're wanting to take customers in a certain position and move them forward uh, you know, in their journey with your, uh, with your company or relationship. Um, however, you know, actually, and Chris touched on this, that email is one channel, but there are many, many channels to reach out to people. In fact, 
sometimes people aren't subscribed to email, but they are um, interested in getting uh, push notifications if they have your mobile app or SMS messages. Or sometimes they don't want either one of those two, but they're happy to receive something, you know, a direct mail piece in their home, and they might um, respond to that. So, and there's some people who then sign up for the do not mail and say, like, don't send me your stuff. So um, there's people who are willing to engage on certain channels, but not other channels. Or even if they're kind of willing to engage, maybe they open up your emails, but they never buy. So then, you know, why, you know, you need to send something else as well. It could be a multi-touch. It may, it may be that someone might read about something through an email, but then they need to get that direct mail piece as well to finally make the purchase. So if you're, you know, an example of like, you know, um, part of a part of a customer journey could be that you've got a strategy around um, customers who you want to win back because they haven't purchased from your company in a long time or they haven't engaged with your company in a long time. Or in the case of, say, AAA, I'm sure that, um, Christopher, you've got a segment of people maybe who used to be members and then they stopped for a period of time. Um, you can still contact those people so you're trying to win them back. So let's say you're in the situation where you're, part of your strategy is to win back customers. So some of those people are, you can still reach out to them through email, they're subscribed um, and, and listening, and some people aren't. And some people um, are willing to engage on social media but on none of the other channels that I just mentioned. So um, we integrate in that some people are, um, we'll send a direct mail piece to, but not an email. And then, because we can't if they're, if they're not subscribed. Likewise, um, with the direct mail, there's more of a cost associated with it. A lot of companies love email because it's inexpensive. <laughs> inexpensive and easy, you just click the send button. Um, <laughs> not really, um, but <laughs> they think it is. Everyone thinks you just click the green send button. <laughs> and then the money comes in. Um, so we have some people in a certain campaign, let's say it's like you know spring fashion. Um, there are some people who will get one piece and not the other, and some people who get, who get both. But there's those decisions on who gets what is based on um, how, uh, how we can, how we are allowed to contact them, and also how engaged they are and how much they spend. So that direct mail piece, um, it costs more in postage than it does to print the piece. And especially if you're mailing to Canada, it is really expensive, <laughs> much more expensive than it is to print the piece. So then there's the cost factor. And if you're trying to um, target people on social media with, um, with, with display advertising, there's certainly a cost for that. So then you kind of you know, factor in all these elements to figure out who you're going to send to in what channel. Excellent. So uh, Chris, we're going to um, circle back to you. So. Um, what are some of the variables that affect your campaign cycles? And there's a follow-up to this. And are there separate campaigns for existing a, you know, AAA members and new ones? I mean, we've kind of touched on, on that a little bit. So I'd like to dive a little deeper into that. OK. Let's, um, let's take a look and peel it back. One of the interesting things is a lot of times we make the assumption that everybody enters into their engagement with you at the same point. They don't, right? And so one of the things we look at when we look at the variables that affect our campaign life cycles, we look at, well, what product did they decide to take advantage of? Um, what, what are their uh, demographics? What other types of messaging had they been exposed to? Was it just uh, what was on the web or was it a direct mail piece? We do a lot of direct mail at our company. Um, we also look at um, before uh, the email address that they're giving us, is it their main one or maybe it's maybe their secondary one? Let's face it, how many, I would just from a show of hands here, how many people have more than one email address? How many people in their current companies, when they talk to a customer they're going to do business with, ask to get their main one? Not very often. It's a small number. And that's a big challenge, because a lot of times, oh, guess what? 
I'm going to give you my email address at Yahoo that I never look at. So I'll never see those messages, right, as opposed to, so we'll look at it. A lot of times we'll ask for their email address, not only for the ad hoc messaging, but also for transactional, like your bill is ready, or, you know, uh, the information like when you book a trip, uh, that type of stuff. As far as separate campaigns for existing members and new customers, as I alluded to earlier, we do have a, a series that we put out for new members, which the goal, as I said, was to really help acclimate them to everything that we offer to them. They're most resilient in our hope with that, and we'll probably see some of the results of that when we evaluate that towards the end of next year, is if we really got an uptick, we have people that took advantage of more products that we offer. Remember, we have roadside, we have um, auto insurance, life insurance, we have travel, we have discounts, we have a lot of different things. And a lot of times people don't, oh, I didn't know you offered that. And so our hope is that we are able you know, to touch all those things. In the traditional sense, for what I would call our traditional messaging to members that have been around for all, we do have you know, a complete calendar of messaging that goes out during the course of the year for ad hoc messaging. And then we have a whole series for um, what I would call our automated or more transactional messaging. And we're always looking very closely at frequency. One thing about AAA, um, we're not late to the party sometimes on, on a few things, but we're very, very conservative. So it's only recently that, that we've been emailing people more than once, once a week, for example. So, and because of that, we have a really high open rate, pretty good click-through rate. So we've really tried to leverage that. We could probably do more, but I think the danger sometimes is, well, let's just keep sending. And then once people say, I don't want to listen to you in that, in that channel, it's really hard to get them back. Even if you send them a, if they're on SMS or push, or you can send a direct mail piece up, but it's really tough once somebody says, I don't want to look. And it would be interesting to hear from the group. In my experience in doing reactivation campaigns, I've, I've never really seen more than about 15 to 20% of people that you can bring back once they've kind of gone away. I don't know how everyone else feels, but that's what I've seen. Yeah, when you think about it, I don't think anybody's ever resubscribed to something you unsubscribe from. When you unsubscribe, you're done. <laughs> I've seen for reactivation campaigns when you're trying to win back customers, so not that they've unsubscribed, they're still subscribed, but they're not currently purchasing. I, I've seen about 10 to 15%, but that 10 to 15% can be huge when it comes to revenue. So I, I think it's still worth it, and it probably should be part of your life cycle campaign as well. So Elizabeth, my next question is for you, actually. Um, you know, how can email strategies have, you know, have your customers be better customers? So I think that's a really interesting question. I think you always want to figure out what is what are you trying to get your customer to do? Is that to come to a physical location? Is that to purchase? Is that to take some action online? Whatever that is, you want your strategy to really map to, to getting customers to do that. And I think there's so many different tactics that you can use. I also think you do need to keep all your digital properties in mind. So if someone, if you have a great email strategy, make sure you carry that over to mobile. Make sure you carry that over to offline if you have an offline marketing component. I think it's important to make sure that your strategy is really succinct across all digital. Um, I also think testing is, is really important and it's something that can be done on a pretty you know, frequent basis. And I, I know Kim had mentioned, you know, people think email is so easy and it, it's, it's really not. It's not just hitting that send button. It is coming up with a strategy 
and always revisiting that strategy. Your strategy today may not be your strategy six months from now. You have different types of brands that all, you know, in the Books case, they're very seasonal. People aren't going to be buying flowers every month of the year. They may only buy on Valentine's Day. So keeping all of those things in mind and really figuring out what is it that you want your customer to do. And every email you send should be driving to that goal. And if it's not working, then just revisit. Um, I don't think you can make a mistake when it comes to email. I mean, hopefully you're all doing QA on your emails and you're sending things that, that at least look good. But in terms of a strategy, I, you can't make a mistake. What, you just need to figure out what you want your customer to do, what works today, and then consistently revisit it. When I start working with a client, we go through a discovery and then a plan and then execution and then results. And it's really much more of a circle um, because once you review results, you may not go back to discovery again, but you're always gonna go back to planning. And I think that's really important when it comes to strategy. Also, today you have so much data on your customers. You know if they opened, if they clicked, if they purchased, if they came into your store, use all that data to make your marketing smarter and relevant and really you'll, you'll definitely see results from it. Excellent. So, uh, Chris, no, did you want to say something please, please with, with data? Data can be kind of a two-edged sword now because we have that data, but we don't always use it well. I'll share an example here at, at a particular uh, taxi service that I'd used. Um, I used it all over, right? And used it up in San Francisco, used, I've used it down here. I got a wonderful email from them and said, hey, Chris, glad you use our service here. By the way, we have this new product that we're gonna be starting. Really like you to take advantage of it. By the way, it's only active in San Francisco. Well, I live here. And it's funny, it, it, it actually kind of devalued that brand for me. And it's like, they should know. And for all of us, we need to think about as, as as a consumer, we expect them to get our name right, know what products and services we have. I mean, am I the only one that's ordered something on a website and then a week later get an email that says, hey, would you like to order the same product? Even though I've already ordered it? That drives me crazy. Uh, that shouldn't happen in today's era. Maybe Ten years ago, but it's not that difficult to solve for. So this next question is kind of opens up what what we're asking Elizabeth in, but for each company, um, and how do you approach lifecycle marketing? Um, you know, to keep coming back, looking at that data when you decide to do a new campaign or new incentives or, or desired behavior. So what are some of the processes? Let's, Kim, let's start with you. Um, sorry, what are some of the processes for? Just overall uh, life cycle marketing, when you're trying to keep your customers engaged over long, if you have long-term customers. It depends. So if you have long-term customers, but then even within that group, you've got all different kinds of customers. So um, <laughs> I'll use Beachbody as an example. So Beachbody is a uh, fitness and nutritional supplements company. They own P90X and uh, Insanity and all these workouts on DVD, and they also sell um, a, a whole variety of nutritional supplements. So within that group of customers that have been buying for a long time, there's customers who are fitness customers who have no interest in nutritional supplements. And there's people in, in you know, otherwise as well. There's people who are on, um, on a, like a monthly subscription, so they want to get their, um, their bag of protein, you know, protein shake powder 
every month, and that's one certain one that's a, a certain type of customer, and that customer could have been with you for a long time. Um, and then there's customers who just buy one time. So I would say within your even within your um, your segment of customers who are loyal, there's all these different subsegments. So then you try to treat each one of them um, differently. So at Beachbody, um, the people who had been on uh, who were on that monthly um, uh, monthly shipment of, of a nutritional supplement, we actually just we actually talk to them less than we do people who say bought one time and then and then and then not for a little while. Because the people who are on the subscription, you actually want to keep them on the subscription. Sometimes if you email them too much, then they decide that, oh yeah, you know, I'm not really using this that much and I think I'll just stop. Um, so there's different tactics for different kinds of customers. Even amongst your loyalists, you've got sub-segments. Bill, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I think this is, I mean, this is very timely for us right now. We're, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but we're going through an exercise where so from a data perspective, we're trying to understand what are the, the behaviors and actions of our better customers compared to our lower tier or worse customers. And I think, you know, I think one of the behaviors that's probably applicable not just to the books, but a lot, especially a lot of companies in the startup space is this emphasis on trying to get them on a subscription type of service where there's a reoccurring revenue component. Um, that's an automatic way to you know, generate more average of, of value per customer within your, your, your database file. So, you know, one thing we're analyzing is what are key components of our subscription service that are, are of value add to our customers? So, so with us, it's things like when you're on a subscription, you just, somebody mentioned set it and forget it. So that's actually a, a tagline that we're kind of contemplating if we want to lead with that as a hook, uh, especially for degenerate guys like myself who forget to send flowers for their wives and whatnot, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a way to kind of get ahead of that so you don't, you don't miss out on uh, holidays and whatnot. Um, the, other <laughs> the other big uh, behavior that we saw with our better customers are, um, and, and this probably makes, you know, it's probably very logical, but a lot of our customers, because we're seasonal, they, they come to us, they buy for just Valentine's Day or just Mother's Day, and then, you know, they, they, they go inactive, we don't hear from them again until the next holiday comes up. So what we found with our better customers are they're sending for multiple occasions to multiple recipients. And I think what, you know, how we're trying to kind of translate that into our email strategies and our cadences is how can we highlight the value of sending flowers where it's meaningful for an occasion outside of Mother's Day and Valentine's Day and for that specific recipient, you know, like for your mother, it's the woman that raised you, you know, that, that's been in your life, your whole life, you know, your wife, maybe it's a different type of messaging. So I think, but I, I think the starting point with all this is, is, is really going through that process of understanding your customers and what are the desired behaviors that you want to incentivize or influence with either offers or different types of treatment. With your, uh, and Chris, you've touched on this, but do you want to dive in any deeper on this? Sure, I think uh, for us at AAA, we do an, an awful lot of uh, segmentation, an awful lot of modeling to kind of understand how, how our customers break up into different, we do a lot of segmented messaging and emails. But the, just thinking here, the, the biggest thing that we see tied with that is, is for us, we've got this suite of products and what we our goal is obviously to have a member for life. And part of that, we found if if we have them take advantage of the various products and services that we have, there's a certain number of them. If they have take so many in a year or two year, they'd like they stay forever, which is awesome. So for part of us, it's trying to figure out 
where someone is at that point, what's their life event, or for example, let's say we have um, a claim service, for example, let's say you're, you're insured with us for uh, automobiles and you had a total loss, standing at the, knowing that someone's gone through that so we can send them a message about our car buying service, for example, right? Or knowing if, um, you know, something's changed in, in somebody's family based upon their age or what have you, or something that maybe's happened on, on, their, on their social feed, uh, letting them know about, hey, guess what? AAA also offers life insurance, or we offer annuities, things like that. So, so we really look at to see what, what other life events are happening, as well as really kind of overlaying that with, you know, some pretty high segmentation. Excellent. So I've got one more question before we open it up for Q and A, and I want to talk about CRM platforms a little bit. So, um, Kim, can we talk about what platforms you use? It Salesforce. Are there other things out there that you that guest uses? Can we just talk about that? You know, so what platform do you use and why? Okay, so um, a couple of different platforms. So, um, so I guess there's stores that you can buy from and there's websites you can buy from. And so those transactions happen on two different platforms. And then we have our, um, you know, our, our so they used to be called ESPs and some people call them like CRM software platforms. But um, we have, we get a feed from, uh, we actually have our all of our online customers flowing into the store system, and the store system is the source of data, the only source of data for, uh, for my for my CRM tool, which is uh, which is now Exact Target slash Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Um, but there are a lot actually there are a lot of different um, if you're looking for an email software or um, or a software where you can do um, multi-channel marketing. There's there are lots of them. I could probably rattle off a dozen of them. Um, certainly lots of competitors and certain ones that are better for small businesses, um, some, cer some certain ones that are better for enterprise businesses. Um, they all come at different, different uh, price points and different levels of service. So there's certainly a lot to, to choose from. Um, but so, so sometimes people think of their CRM platform as the platform that contains your customer data that you send all your messaging of very, you know, in various channels. And then some people would think of the source database, your customer database of record as being your ultimate CRM um, system. So for guests, <clears throat> the store system, even though it's not really meant to be a full enterprise system, we're using it as our customer database of record. And then it feeds into um, our CRM tool, which is what uh, me and my team use every day. Excellent. Chris? Um, great question. For us, you know, insurance, old line company, been around a long time. So we're one of those companies that have um, an internal kind of homegrown solution that was put in place. Um, has some strengths, has some weaknesses. We use um, Salesforce for our email marketing, but all the CRM work is all done on an internal platform that's really behind all the firewalls. We haven't really moved to the pod yet, although we're moving in that direction. One of the biggest challenges in the insurance, there's the feeling that all our data is sensitive and private, and a lot of it is, but not all of it is. And I would advocate that we should move more in that direction. But you know, to answer your question, we use an internal system that works okay. I think we're, 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 we're growing in that point. And the other interesting thing with a company like AAA is that most of you probably think of AAA as just one company. We're actually a federation of companies around the country. So the consumer thinks that AAA is just one. Well, that's not true. There's a different AAA organization for Southern California and Northern California. Bet you didn't know that, huh? Isn't that crazy? So because of that, uh, in our group, we, we have about 40 or 50% of all the clubs in the nation. But the challenge is everybody's got all these different systems. And we've got to plug all these different systems in together to work. And we're still, we're still working to figure that one out. Great question. Phil? Yeah, I think um, 
just the, the the one thing that I'll add. Um, so similar to Kim, I've worked a lot in Exact Target at the Books. We use uh, Sail Through right now. I think um, you know one thing that we that we had at Beachbody and that we have at Sail Through is kind of this concept of separating out your your campaign tool. So marketing automation is another kind of kind of catchphrase that's been thrown out there to manage all of your you know your your multi-channel digital campaigns and whatnot. And then the concept of separating out your your customer file and where you do your segmentation for your campaigns. And you know one tool that we we invested in um, before I got to Books that I, I've I, I'm a big fan of it's uh, Castora. It's uh, a customer data platform. So it's it's a centralized source where you can store all of your, your customer demographic info, order history, um, campaign type of type of information. And then out of the box, they have kind of predictive analytics to inform you, you know, what are maybe in our, in our, in our case, uh, you know, what are the types of bouquets or arrangements that, you know, Phil may want versus Chris or whatnot. Um, what recipient is, is Elizabeth likely to send for, you know, next? And, what are the frequencies that these people are, are, are trying to set for? So it's, um, I, you know, Castor is one, but I've, I've seen that as kind of a trend with other competitors out there where they not only are acting as a resource to consolidate all of your, your data, but then out of the box, they're kind of developing, you know, predictive analytics for you to use in your campaign strategy. And Elizabeth, you know, in your role with your company, do you run the gamut of depending on yeah. what the client might need? So I, I mean, now I work with whatever tool, CRM system the client wants, but there's so many out there. I think you definitely want to be in one that you can grow into because actually Chris and I were talking about this before the panel. Migrating in technology is a huge undertaking and a big pain. So make sure you're in a system that you can stay with for a while and that you can grow into and that you're not going to outgrow, even if you're spending a little bit more money today. I think that's really important because the cost of migration is expensive. If you are using multiple systems, which a lot of brands are doing, make sure they're all talking to each other. Uh, I know around Black Friday, Williams-Sonoma sent me 10 emails in one day, and they all came in around the same time, and it turned out I probably, as a customer, fell into all segmentation and things like that you know I just think you want to make sure that your systems are talking to each other so that if someone purchases offline in a store and then they purchase online that you're you're making sure that your systems sync up even as late as yesterday you know a different brand they sent me three different emails in a day and one was a 15% off email but the other one wasn't and again I, I probably fell into to multiple segments um, I'm watching email and I'm sure all of us are on the panel more than the average person but you know in that case you could have an angry customer one email is 15% off and I didn't get it until 4 p.m. and the email in the morning was what I purchased from so whatever system you're in just make sure they all speak to each other excellent all right who feels smarter let's give it up for our panel I feel smarter all right, we've got about 10 minutes. We've got a lot of people in the crowd, but I'd like to open it up to Q&A. So first person that wants to raise their hand goes first, right here. Hang on, wait for the mic, because we're doing a podcast. I have a quick question. When you guys say you're doing test emails, are you sending test emails to your database, to everybody? Or, because won't they, after a while, opt out if you keep testing, testing them? 
when we talked about A-B testing. All we're doing in A-B testing, you can take a percentage of your database. For example, let's like so say you want to test personalization in your subject line. So you have your standard subject line, and then you have one with personalization. And like in Salesforce, what you can do, you can take you know 20% of your list, run that, and wait you know six hours, whatever, and depending on what you want for your determine your winner, either more opens or more clicks, you can then apply that to the balance of your list. So you're not keep sending the same thing to the same people. Well, when we say testing is, is you have your campaigns that you send out, but in every one you send out, there's always an opportunity to improve upon it, right? And you get your answer so quickly as opposed to direct mail where you've got to set up all your cells and it takes forever, very expensive. And, you know, Subject line is, is one of the big things now because it's it's who the message is from and the subject line and preheader really which determines whether someone's gonna open it. If they don't open your email, doesn't matter anyways. Uh, but then there's all these little things and I'm sure the rest of the panel can talk to this where they're gonna talk, uh, uh, look at changing out the images based upon who gets your message or button color or whether you have a, a button or a graphic link. All those little things and there's, there's a great resource called Marketing Chirpa if you go to them, they've done all these great tests and there's things you can pick up on real quick. You don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel, but if you're not testing, you should be doing something every time because you're gonna learn and you're incrementally gonna get better and you'll get you'll generate more revenue and your department, your company will be happier with you. Yeah, I'll just um I'll kind of I'll kind of uh, sort of add on to that, but where you know where where I think you you may have been trying to go is is it, it's definitely a balance where you wanna have a testing strategy, but you don't want to pigeonhole yourself from when you see wins, you want to roll out those wins and, and, and drive revenue and capture revenue. I think I've been in some scenarios sometimes where, you know, there's the the, the old adage uh, analysis, paralysis, paralysis analysis or analysis paralysis, <laughs> one of the two. And, you know, depending upon the situation you're in, you know, I'm in a I'm in a startup environment where, you know, growth is just crucial. So you know, we just launched um, some tests with site user experiences, and we're going to be under the, you know, the approach of if we see a win, even if it's within two to three days, as long as it's you know statistically significant, we want to we want to roll out those wins and and drive what we you know what the data is telling us is going to drive more engagement, conversions, revenue, etc. Want to take another question? Okay, first hand up. Oh, A little bit more, more of a basic question, but for example, you meet somebody in a networking event and they give you their card and they ask you to send them information. What do you do? Do you enter them into your uh, email autoresponder or do you send them a private email to, for a phone call or do you send them an email to entice them to subscribe to your autoresponder, what do you do with those cards that you actually get? I think if you meet someone at a networking event, you should send them a personal email and ask them to subscribe to your emails. I go to a ton of networking events and a lot of people do just add you to their list. I have my business email and then I have an email that I sign up with for marketing messages. So I can always tell when my business email has been added. I just think, I don't think someone's going to I mean, people may unsubscribe. I don't think they're going to say, well, I never opted in if they met you. But I just think it's a nicer thing to just ask them if they want to be added to your, your list. Yes. Wait for the mic. I'll be right there. 
first, first uh, thank you for such great info. Um, the question I have for you guys, because you have such expertise, if you had to identify a key trend that you say is just going to blow out in the next five years, so project yourself, let's say, five years out, what do you think will be a key component that will change this in terms of what you're doing? And the second part of the question is, do you foresee blockchain technology impacting um, any of this? And what are some of the inroads that you're starting to develop, if any, um, in that regard? Yeah, who's first? Sorry, sorry. I've, I have a question back for you. Sorry, the second part to your question, what was the kind of technology that you said? Oh. How marketing is going to be impacted by blockchain, and especially on how consumers are going to receive messaging and how that tailoring is going to be so customizable to them. So I'm curious how the two are going to meet at some point. Or, I mean, it's all unknown to me, but I guess, you know, I'll, I'll just chime into that. I mean, I'm not the most familiar with, with blockchain, but I, I, will, I will speak to, you know, what I've, what I've seen at some conferences and just from networking is the concept of kind of bringing the shopping experience within email. And I don't know if this is directly speaking to blockchain specifically, but I think the, you know, at, at least a forecasted trend that, bless you, a forecasted trend that I, I kind of encountered last year was, you know, not just email serving the purpose of driving customers to a landing page to go through a funnel to purchase, but actually allowing them to transact directly in the email to make it a shorter process to, you know, finish, you know, finish the transaction. Um, and I, you know, I haven't seen any concrete examples of that yet, but I, I, I do foresee that, that, and along those lines too, I think, you know, five years out, I think the concept of connecting the email or marketing experience with the landing page experience where it's more seamless. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys are like Amazon Prime customers, and if you have the mobile app, it's, it's super seamless. You know, they have the one-click uh, one order functionality. Um, that's something we're actually trying to explore right now too, you know, because we're seasonal. If we know what your order was for last Valentine's Day, you know, serving up the, the concept of you know, reordering what you ordered last year. So I think, I think that's kind of a, a bigger trend. Um, that you know, it's going to happen in the future. Let's stay on that train of thought. Elizabeth, what's coming down the pike? Um, see, that's a hard question. I think, you know, I, I feel like email just gets smarter and smarter. We get asked the question all the time, is email dead? Is email going away? We have this conversation when social launched and it has not replaced email. Your ROI from email is I think the last stat I saw was at least three times higher than that of social. So I just think that what's going to happen in the email space is that email will get smarter and more sophisticated and that it will connect better with, you know, your, your landing page and really making sure that it's a very personalized experience. So maybe that people don't even have to go to your landing page that they could literally click from the email, you know, as they kind of do in Amazon. I, I just I think email will just get more and more personalized and sophisticated. And I also think we as marketers are learning how to use that data better for a more personalized experience. We've been talking about one-to-one -one messaging, you know, in the digital space for many years. And I'm finally seeing a lot of companies really doing that and, and knowing, talking to you as if they know you. Kim. I was going to um, add to that saying that 
Um, one of the things that I see already starting that I think will we'll have more and more adopters in the next five years is predictive analytics. So, so um, I used to use the tool that, um, that Phil mentioned, Castora, uh, for predictive analytics. That's, that's what it's known for. So let's say you know, you've got people who buy, this I'll use guess for example, you people who buy jeans. And so I can see that there's certain people who buy jeans. There's just, just a fact. So I could put you into a bucket saying that you're a denim lover and, and, you know, and, and communicate to you in one way. Then there's people who haven't bought jeans, but their profiles look like someone who has bought jeans, or they look like all the people who buy jeans. So then Castora can say that, all right, even though they haven't bought jeans, we're saying that they have an affinity for jeans. Not because even that they've browsed on something or they've clicked on something, but because their profile looks very similar to people who buy jeans. Therefore, you have an affinity to jeans. You would have a, um, a higher probability of, um, of interacting with, a, with jeans content than you would outerwear because you look like you know, your, your profile is similar to someone else's. So I think you know, um, there are tools to, to use that. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a business intelligence team <laughs> um, with a staff of data scientists who can mimic what, um, what Castora does, um, then, um, then you can have that in-house. So um, certainly, you know, um, Beachbody had gone um, and decided to actually hire some data scientists and create a kind of a data science team because the business model is kind of unique. So um, the company didn't feel like any of the out-of-the-box solutions, you know, suited it. Um, but sometimes an out-of-the-box solution, you know, like like a Castora, um, does does work. And I mean, actually, it's not cheap either. But uh, it is out of the box, and so you feed it customers, and then you can say, okay, give me the people who are likely to do this or do that or do this. Chris, take us out. What do you think is coming? Oh, oh I wish I I could. I had a crystal ball, right? Um, there's so many interesting technologies on the forefront right now and, and that uh, Kim touched on it, the big move with uh, AI, uh, predictive analytics, uh, deep learning. Um, the promise of that is eventually we'll get to a point where uh, the, the, the big data will be synthesized much, so you, you will get, we'll already know what message to send you at the right time instead of trying to figure out uh, from a latency standpoint of view. But uh, the thing that I kind of want to leave you with is I used to do a presentation where I'd show this uh, demonstration of, what, of using dynamic content in an email. And that's nothing more than like variable data where we, there was a, uh, a, a mortgage email that went out, right? And it would have, if you, were a certain, if you bought a certain type of product, you would see this type of product in the email and it would be tied to a particular mortgage broker that you would, it was tied to. And if you were someone else, it was, it was different for everybody. We were, doing, we were talking about that type of stuff over 10 years ago. And we're still trying to realize that in an overall purpose right now, being able, even for us, being able to send a travel email and as we send it knowing, guess what? Elizabeth was looking on the travel site, looking at going to Hawaii, so guess what? The hero image for her is gonna be Hawaii, where Phil, we found in his browser, uh, or session history, he was looking at going to Europe. He's gonna see the uh, stuff on, on tours and trips right in front. We can do that all today now, and it's becoming a lot easier. The challenge is there's still a vast number of people out there that we haven't even applied that yet. So I'd like to see the promise of, of true interactive content, which we can do now. There's a lot of other new bells and whistles, but I think it's coming, and we're still get only seeing maybe a small number of people that are going to do that. I'm not that familiar with blockchain. I've heard about that. But I don't know anybody that's applied that yet in email yet. Thank you. Let's give it up to our panel.
Thank you so much. That was really good. You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger and Icebox Logic.